Well, uh, in the last few years, there's been a new trend for summertime water lovers. Uh, and that is the trend for giant inflatable rafts. I don't know if you've seen them at the poolside, like giant flamingos, giant unicorns, giant swans, uh, all kinds of oversized inflatables. Uh, and they're great for relaxing poolside. The problem is when you take them to the open water, when you take them to the beach. In 2018, a Florida mother, she took her seven-year-old son to the beach uh, and uh, they took their giant swan out onto the water. They thought it would be great fun. Uh, the ocean appeared calm, the mom said. Uh, there was very little wind, and so they thought their ride would go smoothly. Uh, but within minutes of getting on the swan, however, things took a dangerous turn when the wind and the current carried the mother and her son uh, several miles offshore. Uh, the mom tried leaning over the side to paddle and to paddle back towards the, the beach, but she couldn't fight against the wind and she quickly got tired. Thankfully, uh, beachgoers noticed the raft drifting far offshore. They called 911. The mother said that when she finally saw the rescue boat, she broke down in tears uh, because she knew that they were going to be safe. Uh, she said, this could have gone much worse. Well, our Bible story today is all about a different boat uh, and a rescue at sea and the lessons that we can take, for, take from the experience of paddling against the storm. So why don't we pray now that God would teach us those lessons as we open his word. Our Heavenly Father, will you teach us now as we open the Bible, teach us how to trust you when things seem to be out of control and help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we are in the middle of our sermon series from Matthew chapter 13, a little series we're calling Hidden Treasures. It's all about looking below the surface uh, and finding the deeper meaning in Jesus' teaching and his miracles. And today's story takes place immediately after the miracle we looked at last week, the miracle where Jesus fed that crowd of 5,000 people with just a few loaves of, of bread and some fish. You might recall that Jesus had been trying to get some rest, a little bit of alone time to pray, but the crowds had followed him, and so he spent the day healing the sick and ministering to the crowds and eventually feeding them miraculously. And then only after all of that, Jesus finally finds the time to pray. Verse 22, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and to go ahead of him onto the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Now, I don't think this is the main point of the story, but there's something to learn here, isn't there, from Jesus. Sometimes we need to step out of the busyness and we need to take time to reconnect with God. And so Jesus, he pours himself out all day and then he creates the space to pray. For him, he goes up on a mountainside. There are lots of stories in the Bible about people meeting with God on a mountainside. But we don't need to go to the mountainside to reconnect with God. We, we can pray anywhere, at any time. But for Jesus in this moment, it was all about finding a quiet place, um, a place away from the crowds, a, a place where he could put all of his focus on his heavenly Father uh, and where he wouldn't be distracted. And when you look at verse 23, it, it seems like he probably prayed for hours. Now, I don't know what your prayer life is like, but I often start to pray and then I find myself distracted. If I pray at my desk in the office, I'm surrounded by all kinds of things that distract me, that demand my attention. There's the computer screen, there's my telephone, there's the files that I'm working on, there's the books that I'm reading, um, there is my diary and all of the appointments that I have. 
it's really hard to focus and to stay focused on prayer. And so I've been trying something different, which is this. I've got this great big comfortable armchair in my office. Um, I tried sitting down in it to pray, but um, it was way too comfortable. And so um, I, I started to relax and drift off. So instead of trying kneeling at my great big comfy couch, I've been kneeling on the floor, and, uh, and I've found that by kneeling and praying out aloud, I've had far fewer distractions. Um, it just works for me, and I've enjoyed some focused times of prayer. Now, your knees might not be good, um, or you might be, maybe you don't like to pray out aloud. Uh, so these are not rules, they're just something you could try. Uh, but something that uh, works for me and something you could try, you, you could try going to a mountainside if that works for you. Or you could go into your bedroom or into the closet and closing the door like Jesus suggested. The point is don't let distraction get between you and God. Don't let distraction distract you from what is most important because the most important thing you can do every day is to connect with God because that's how we stay focused and how we stay focused on Him in the midst of storms. Well, that's just a little aside before we get into the drama of the story because the drama really comes later that night when Jesus finishes praying. Now remember, Jesus had sent the disciples ahead of him into the, uh, in the boat and this is what happened next at verse 23. Later that night, Jesus was there alone. He was still on the mountainside and the boat was already a considerable distance from land. It was buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. This is not the first time the disciples have been in a boat in a storm on the Sea of Galilee. The first time was back in chapter 8 of Matthew's Gospel. And that time the storm was so great, do you remember that? The waves threatened to swamp the boat. And the disciples, even though they were seasoned fishermen, some of them thought they were going to drown. And now they find themselves in a similar situation again. The disciples are getting blown off course, and no matter how hard they rode, they were making no headway, they were getting no nearer to the shore. In his account of the same story, Gospel writer Mark says that the disciples were straining against the oars, Mark 6.48. John tells us that they'd only managed to row about three or four miles despite rowing until late in the night. In fact, they'd been rowing for so long that it, they kept rowing until the fourth watch of the morning, uh, almost dawn, probably somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. That's a long time to row without making headway. And you remember, in that first storm, Jesus had been in the boat with the disciples, and, and all they had to do was go down the back of the boat, and they woke him up. And then Jesus stood up, and he calmed the wind and the waves with just a word. But this time, the disciples were alone in the boat, I don't know if you ever feel like you're in the boat alone. Perhaps you've been straining against something for some time now. You've been straining against illness. You've been straining against mental health. You've been straining against the effects of aging or difficulties with your marriage or difficulties with your kids or difficulties with your family, difficulties at work, difficulties with your godliness. Sometimes life is like that. No matter how hard you try to row against the wind, it feels like you're not making any headway. And you wonder, where is God in the middle of it all? It would be so easy, wouldn't it, if it was just like that first storm where we could go down the back of the boat and, and grab Jesus by the shoulders and wake him up and say, look, I need you, Jesus. I need you right now. I'm drowning. But Jesus wasn't in the boat with the disciples. And he's not physically present with us either. 
And I think there's a lesson for us to learn from this moment with the disciples. See, not long after this story, um, Jesus would be taken from them. He would be killed. And then even though he rose back to life on the third day and he stayed with them for 40 days, Jesus ascended back into heaven. And then the disciples would be alone again. And so how do we learn to trust that Jesus is with us even when we can't see him face to face? How do we deal with life in the boat when it feels like we are on our own? Well, the first lesson we learn is that the storms of life are never outside of God's sovereign control. Um, In Mark's gospel, Mark tells us that Jesus could see the boat the whole time uh, from up on the mountaintop, from up on his vantage point. And Jesus was watching the boat. He knew what was happening. He could have spoken to the wind. He could have told the wind to cease. He could have waved his hands and calmed the water, but Jesus didn't. He allowed the disciples to keep straining against the wind. And perhaps Jesus is allowing you to keep straining against the wind right now. Perhaps there are lessons that you're learning from the struggle that you wouldn't have otherwise learned if your journey was all smooth sailing. The Apostle Paul literally lived through a shipwreck. In fact, he said he lived through three shipwrecks. But you can read about this particular shipwreck in Acts 27 and 28, where his ship was damaged in a storm. And so they floated out of control for two whole weeks in the Adriatic Sea, and they finally ran aground off Malta. Uh, Paul lived through other storms too. He was beaten, he was imprisoned, uh, he was stoned, and all because of his association with Jesus. God looked after Paul, but he didn't spare Paul from the storms of life. The storms were where Paul learned to trust God. Paul said this about suffering in Romans 5, verses 2 to 4. He said, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, character, and character produces hope. So that's the first big lesson from the passage. Sometimes God allows us to remain in the storm because that's where we truly learn to trust him. It's in the storm that our character is built and our perseverance is built and ultimately our hope is built in the only one who can rescue us from the storm. And this may not make things easier. I know what it's like to have a season where you are constantly buffeted. But Jesus knows what's going on for you. He can see through the storm and he knows what's on the other side for you. And so for now, keep rowing. Keep rowing in the storm. Keep straining against the wind. And don't give up because you never know when things might change. And that brings us to the second big idea, the next part of the story, which we pick up at verse 25. Well, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Just notice that, Jesus walked on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. There was a local legend amongst the fishermen on this lake that the last thing that a sailor saw before he drowned was the image of a ghost walking on the water. 
And that's exactly what the disciples thought they saw. Uh, They thought they saw a ghost. It was just before dawn. They'd been straining against the wind for hours. They were probably exhausted. Maybe they were at the point of giving up. Maybe the boat looked like it was going to be swamped and they thought they were going to drown. We don't know. What we do know, though, is that Jesus walks out to them. He walks out to them on the water. People have come up with all kinds of explanations, uh, natural explanations as to what was happening. Uh, Perhaps Jesus was walking on a sandbar, or perhaps the disciples actually rode into the beach and Jesus just waded out chest deep to them. But none of that makes sense of the story as three different gospel writers all record it. With Jesus walking on water, it's nothing less than a miracle as far as they can tell. Jesus did the impossible. In fact, he did what only God was said to do. A Job, uh, who was a man known for his own suffering, said this about God. He said, God alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He performs wonders that cannot be fathomed and miracles that cannot be counted. We've watched a lot of a television show called Mythbusters at our home. Um, it's a show where a team of a movie, a movie magic experts, uh, they're also engineers and scientists, and they try to confirm or deny myths that uh, the audience sends in. Well, one of the myths that they try to bust is walking on water. And they start by looking at all kinds of um, people who claim to have walked on the water, and uh, in, every cha- in every opportunity they've debunked it as a myth or a magic trick of some sort. But a magic trick is very different from a miracle. And as Job said, God alone performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. God had parted the Red Sea so that the Israelites could walk through on dry land. And now God seems to be making a pathway through the water, a pathway on the sea, moving Jesus out to the disciples. Jesus does what God can do. And that's not where the association stops because what Jesus says next gives us a clue as to his, his identity, his hidden identity. And I think that's actually the hidden treasure in our story. Listen to what Jesus says to the disciples. Verse 27, Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Well, first Jesus is reassuring the, reassuring the disciples that he isn't a ghost. He hasn't come to drown them He's come to rescue them. Um, This was just like God rescued the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. God is a rescuer. And when that happened, do you know that God um, called out to Moses from the burning bush? And when Moses asked God who he is, when he said, you know, when I go back to the Israelites to say that God is going to lead us out of Egypt, what am I going to say to them? What will I tell them your name is? Do you remember what God said to Moses? God said to Moses, he said, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me. Um, I am has sent me to you. What did Jesus say when he was walking on the water? Well, he said, it is I. Or in the original language, literally, I am. Jesus uses God's own name for himself when he comes to rescue the disciples on the lake. And so this is the second lesson we need to learn from the story today. In the midst of the storm, we need to recognize the one who is coming to rescue us. 
Uh, there's a fantastic little book by Pastor Dave Furman. Uh, here it is. It's called Kiss the Wave, Embracing God in the Trials or in Your Trials. Uh, Furman lives with a chronic nerve condition that uh, causes him spasms and numbness uh, in his limbs. Uh, he is in constant pain that is de debilitating. And so this book is partly about him coming to terms with his own suffering um, and how to trust God in the middle of it. Uh, but he bases the book in the passage that we're reading today, this idea of the, the disciples straining against the wind. And he says this about straining against the wind. He says, God is in control over every swell of the waves. He's sovereign over every gust of wind. The answer to our fear and stress and pain and trials is not simply to get to the other side of the sea but to guard against mistaking Christ's identity in the middle of the storm. I love that. The answer to our stress and our fear and our pain is not simply to get to the other side of it. I've often wanted to just get through a hard season. I'm sure you're the same. You know, we want to get to the other side. But as a kid, I remember my friend's mom saying something. She said, don't wish your life away. That is, she didn't want us to waste our life wishing it was something different. Um, you know, she wanted us to embrace whatever the situation was today. Uh, learn what we could learn from the joy, or learn what we could learn from the boredom, or from the hardship, or from the struggle. Don't wish it away. Don't try to get to the other side. And don't miss the fact that Jesus is coming. He's the only one with the power to change things in our lives. Just like God flung stars into space and he moved mountains, Jesus does the same thing because he's God made flesh. Jesus has all of the fullness of the deity held within him, in his flesh. He's the same flesh as you and me, but he is fully God. Colossians 2 verse 9. And just like Jesus said on the night he, before he died, he said, yes, this world has many troubles and you will experience them. But he also says, I have overcome the world. And that's what the cross was all about. Jesus tells us not to be afraid, to take courage, to trust him, and to know that he is our hope and salvation, even in the face of death. Don't miss the significance of who Jesus is when the storms are raging around you. He is the one who calms the storm. He is the one who raises the dead. And he promises to rescue us. And that brings us to our third and final big idea from the story. So there's one part of this story that Matthew captures that Mark and John leave out. It's one of those Peter moments. You know those moments where Peter blurts something out and you know it's not going to end well. He's, that, he's, that, he's the disciple who always just says the wrong thing at the wrong time. Well, this is what happens as soon as Jesus identifies himself. Peter says to him, verse 28, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. And then Peter got down out of the boat. He walked on the water and he came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and he caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? I've spent all week trying to figure out if Peter was being faithful or foolhardy. In one sense, he almost puts Jesus to the test, doesn't he? If it's you, tell me to come out to you and to walk on the water. In another way, Peter seems to have his 
faith-filled confidence. He has this faith-filled confidence that Jesus will enable him to do what seems impossible. And that's not a bad thing for Peter because not long after that, Jesus would ask Peter to do an impossible task. He would ask Peter to build the church, just one man to be the church, the basis of the church. He's the first church planter, and it must have been a daunting task to take the gospel out to the ends of the earth. Perhaps that kind of job, job takes the sort of person who would step out of a boat in the middle of the storm. Well, whichever way, Jesus calls Peter, and he gets out, and initially Peter walks on the water just like Jesus did. Can you imagine? That must have been an amazing thing to see. See, faith is stepping out of the boat. Faith often looks like foolhardiness to the world. Faith involves treading where you haven't trodden before and often following a pathway that seems impossible. Peter leads that way for us. I said we should be like Peter. Step boldly towards Jesus, trusting that everything will be okay. It's exciting, isn't it? You know, you might have joined this church, you might have been new with us, but you know, we've got this big mission ahead of us. We're trying to reach the entire Napa Valley with Jesus Christ. We're trying to share the hope of Jesus with people who haven't had much exposure to Christian things before. And this is exciting mission, but it's also kind of a little bit terrifying. I don't know if you feel that. See, what happens when we, we try to share Jesus and then somebody gets upset with you? What about when they ridicule you for saying that you have faith in Jesus? What about when they disagree with you? All of those thoughts, well, they can quickly morph into doubts and the doubts that threaten to sink our faith. And I think that's what happened to Peter. Jesus is there, he's right in front of Peter. But Peter takes his eyes off Jesus and he starts to concentrate on the wind and the waves instead. And he starts to sink. Faith can be like that sometimes. It can be faltering, fearful and fraught. But look at what Peter does in the middle of his faltering. He calls out, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus reaches out his hand and he catches Peter. Uh, one of the commentators wondered, and I love this idea, he says, I wonder how Peter got back into the boat. Uh, did Peter walk across the water with Jesus, you know, maybe holding onto his hand? Or, or did Jesus carry him back to the boat? Well, we don't know, but either way, it's a pretty great metaphor for faith, isn't it? Because actually, we are never alone when Jesus is there. He might not be with us bodily, but he's sent his Holy Spirit, who dwells in the heart of every follower of Jesus Christ. And that means that Jesus is, Jesus is always with us. He's always with us. He always hears our cry for help. And whether he takes us by the hand and walks with us through our troubles or whether he picks us up and carries us to the other side. With Jesus, you know that you will ultimately be okay. The storms will definitely die down sooner or later. But even so, Jesus is with you all the while. And so that's the third big idea. Reach out to Jesus in the middle of the storm and keep your eyes fixed on him. Don't focus on the problems. Focus on the one who can solve them. Don't look down. Look up to Jesus. Now, there is a little epilogue to our story, which is about how the disciples react after witnessing all of this. Uh, this is what happened, picking up at verse 32. When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him. They worshipped Jesus, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. 
This is the first time that the disciples have acknowledged Jesus as the Son of God in Matthew's Gospel. And I love that it's taken them this long to work out who Jesus was. You know, these disciples have been with Jesus all the way along. They'd seen his miracles up close, and yet they were only just starting to grasp the significance of who Jesus is and what it meant for their lives. And their slowness to recognize Jesus, well, it gives hope to all of us, doesn't it? Especially those of us who are still trying to work out who Jesus is. If that's you, if you're still trying to work out who Jesus is, um, that's okay. It takes time. Keep asking the questions. Keep watching. Keep listening. Keep searching below the surface. Because Jesus is a patient teacher. And he will reveal it to you. That's the hidden treasure that we find in the gospel. Jesus wants you to know who he is. And when you do recognize Jesus... Don't miss the opportunity to give him the thanks and the praise and the honor that he deserves. Uh, the disciples worshipped him, we read in verse 33. And that idea of worship, it's at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. We recognize Jesus as the Son of God, as our Savior, as our Rescuer, as our Forgiver. And we respond with the only way that is appropriate. We worship him with everything that we have. Because without Jesus, we would be on a boat in a storm without hope. Will you pray with me now? Father, we thank you that you are with us. Jesus, we thank you that you are with us. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are with us. Uh, that you minister to us in the storm. Father, for those of us who are straining against the oars right now, straining against the wind. Father, we pray that you would come to them. Uh, that you would comfort them with your presence. That they would know that you are here. Father, help us to walk with you or carry us, whichever way it is. Um, Jesus, help us not to miss the significance of who you are. You are our Lord. You are our Savior. You are our Rescuer. You are our Forgiver. You are the one who brings us to the Father and brings us to great joy. And so, Father, we pray that we would recognize you now and praise you and give you the worship that you deserve. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.